we left our last class at verse 66 and this is after Krishna really helps you know once again he's introduced the gunas to us this time more deeply he goes into the stages of consciousness which we outwardly call the caste system but of course is the manifestation of our own energy our own awareness our own consciousness and thereby what is it that we manifest outwardly into the world as well what are the duties when your thoughts are of this level what are the expressions when your consciousness is at this level and so on and so forth and so he talks about the dharmas the outward expressions and the duties of the person who holds predominantly a certain kind of consciousness of course as we talked about that consciousness changes all over and in certain actions we might be brahmins and in certain actions we might be shudras in certain expressions and relationships we might be kshatriyas in certain relationships we might be vaishyas always looking at the transactional reality of that relationship and so on and so forth and we have to realize if i'm a vaishya and if i'm always thinking about transaction in terms of my relationship my next step is to be a kshatriya where i can open my heart much more and give more and think about the benefit of others rather than just my own benefit and so on and so forth and you can superimpose that reality onto all aspects of your life but combining all that together each one of us have as we would calling it a specific gravity of after everything after the waves <laughs> have subsided this is where we usually end up and that becomes the predominant state of awareness the predominant cast of our consciousness and based on that we then decide what and how should we live this life so after establishing that dharma finally krishna says forsaking other dharmas and duties remember me alone i will free you from all sin even from that of not fulfilling your lesser duties previously early on krishna gave us this kind of aphorism something very helpful to remember when a lower dharma or a lesser dharma conflicts with a higher dharma it ceases to be a dharma so when we're constantly faced with choices should i do this or should i do this and we should always gauge this on this principle what's going to lift me up higher what's going to open my heart much more what's going to help clarify and align with the goals that i have set in life and then always try to choose that because life can be very confusing and there are so many different ways it enjoys entangling us that it'll make this seem much more enticing or much more obligatory or much more somehow all of society expects me to do it this way but this is what's going to take courage from us this is what's going to take energy out of us our willpower this is what's going to take a lot more faith from us so we're always testing in every decision however at the end of it all krishna says the highest of all dharmas is to seek me is to remember me now of course if you're not one who has a deep connection with krishna or with some you know infinite form of god what is this me this me is the absolute highest of your own self that you can imagine for most of us that state is a state of bliss a state of freedom a state of complete mastery of my own self if you can attune to that level in that state all other dharmas become secondary irrespective of what your inner caste is where your consciousness is if you aim 
for that state. Everything else, because what is that state? That state is when all the life force, all the prana, all the energy brought under your control is raised up towards the brain, held at the point between the eyebrows, emanating from here all over the universe. When that state of ecstasy is experienced by the yogi, everything else just gets washed away in that all other responsibilities, obligations and dharmas. And that's important for us to remember, including our own meditation. There's a fun little anecdote Swamiji shares here in this book between uh, Krishna and Draupadi. Uh, symbolically, you may remember Draupadi represents the Kundalini. And she's said to be the, you know, an ardent devotee of Krishna, always trying to unite herself with Krishna, just as the Kundalini is awaiting that unity with the divine. And Krishna one day tells Draupadi, you know, why don't you practice yoga and meditation? You know, I've taught it to your uh, husbands, <laughs> to the chakras. All of your chakras are trying to uplift that energy constantly. Why aren't you doing the same? And Draupadi says to him, Krishna, if only I could spare a moment where my mind isn't constantly thinking of you. I don't have time to do these outward practices because I don't want to even for a moment kind of draw my attention away from you. And then, of course, Krishna just smiles and says, yeah. so she's already achieved the state for which we are practicing yoga, meditation, or any of introspection, of the jnana yogi, of karma yoga, seva, whatever it is that you're trying to do outwardly. Once you stay in that state, everything else becomes secondary, which also as a devotee means when we're doing our techniques in our meditation, but if our technique has brought us to a state of bliss, that is the time to drop the technique and just stay in that state because your technique has achieved its potential. Don't say, oh, you know, Hong Sao has to happen for 10 more minutes, so I'm staying with Hong Sao and then I have to go into Om. If your two minutes of Hong Sao takes you into a state of deep expansion, then drop the technique and let that expansion continue to grow in your heart. Never share, now the energy shifts suddenly, never share these truths with one who is without self-control or devotion, nor with one who won't share with others in a spirit of service, nor give them to one who is indifferent to me or who finds fault with me. Now Krishna is wrapping up. He's given Arjuna as much gyan, as much direction, as much advice as he possibly can. Now he's coming to the point of what's Arjuna to do now. And first and foremost, he tells Arjuna, don't share what I have shared with you with anyone who is lacking self-control or devotion. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because just a few pages, a verse or two later, he'll say, even those who just hear the Gita, even they are going to have, you know, a beautiful experience. But before he says that, he establishes this. You've got a lot of these things like, oh, you know, just if you just read the Gita, if you just hear the Gita, and that's, that's all enough. you need. But before that, he says, don't share these truths that I have shared with you unless they have self-control and devotion. First, what does that mean? It means Arjuna had developed enough self-control and devotion for Krishna to first reveal it to him. So we don't just get to be the devotee and you may hear the whole Gita, but if you don't have self-control and devotion, that means these truths don't actually enter into you. The words may, the beauty may, the poetic inferences may, but the truth and that power will not enter into you. Arjuna represents the 
third chakra, which is the chakra of self-control. But when that self-control is directed downward, it becomes rigid, it becomes controlling the world. I have to control my karma, I have to control my finances, I have to control my relationships. But when that energy rises up towards the heart, that very self-control and that discipline and that energy and that will in transforms into devotion. Devotion not as we said of Ah Bhagwan, devotion of I will now use my energy to stay devoted to higher ideals, devoted to God, devoted to whatever it is I know will take me to higher consciousness. So these two are where Yogananda said the devotee has to be at least here established in self-discipline before the truths of the great masters can be truly revealed to them. Until that moment, most of these things are just wonderful sounding words and concepts. So Krishna is trying to let Arjuna know, don't just for the sake of, try only to share it you know, with people who have achieved self-control and devotion. Even us in sharing with you cannot actually share with you the truths because we ourselves are aspiring towards that perfect self-control and devotion. So even we're only able to share with you the words. It'll be for you now to gleam the truth of these words based on your discipline, based on your devotion. Nor with one who won't share with others in a spirit of service. I like that. You know, sometimes we just like to share things because we want people to know that we know stuff. You know, look at me, look, I can quote the Gita and I can say all these things. And even if we do want to share for their benefit, which we often do, especially in the beginning of the spiritual path, we get so excited and we're like, everyone needs to, you know, read this and everyone needs to meditate and everyone needs to do this or the other. Oh, everyone needs to hear my guru. And, and people, you know, like, stop bothering me. A lot of relationships are destroyed in that process, aren't there? A lot of friends see you from far and decide to go the other way because, like, oh, oh like that guy again who's going to tell me all about Krishna and all about meditation. So, while our heart is in the right place and we do want to share because we think it's going to benefit them, but I like this idea the spirit of service. We think the spirit of service is how we serve. But the true spirit of service is what is truly going to help that person. You know, not so much what I want to give. You know, the accrued images of an old lady standing on the side of a road. And just because she's old and just because she's standing on the side of the road, we think she needs to cross across, you know. The good Samaritan. Maybe she's just standing there. She doesn't want to cross the road. And we're like, chalo ma'am, chalo. You know, here I am to do my good job and get a little tick mark in my seva. So that spirit of service requires us to have the discrimination to know what's truly going to help people. And sometimes to sit on high horses and, you know, expound these great truths, which oftentimes we ourselves are unable to live by, just isn't helpful to anybody. And that's also a very important truth for us to know. Don't think because something has helped you, it's naturally going to be equally applicable in other people's lives. Try to tune into people where they are. And then if there is something in here, you don't even have to say it's from the Gita, you don't even have to say it's from Krishna, that you think might be beneficial to them, but always in a spirit of service, which means always looking to what's truly going to help the person, not what do I think 
एज एन एक्ट ऑफ सेवा बिकॉज समवन सेट गीता दो लोगों को तो बस मैं तो जाके बस गीता आई एम शविंग दैम इन टू पीपल्स हैंड्स बिकॉज यू रिमेंबर अर्ली ऑन वेन यू आर टॉकिंग अबाउट एडवाइस गिविंग एडवाइस वी टोल्ड यू द स्टोरी ऑफ स्वामी जी हाउ ही सै वुड वेट यर्स टेन ईयर्स समटाइम्स बिफोर आई वुड गिव एडवाइस टू पीपल बिकॉज आई हैव टू वेट फॉर द राइट मोमेंट वन दे वर मोस्ट ओपन टू दी एडवाइस अदरवाइज इफ यू गिव इट प्री मेच्योरली दे रिजेक्ट इट and then even when the time comes when they could have been open having rejected it once it's harder for them to accept it now you see so by prematurely giving something to somebody we might even delay the very process that perhaps could have naturally come to them at their time of need so this is a very mindful process it isn't that krishna is the greatest and therefore everything that he said everybody needs even krishna himself chose only to reveal it to arjuna why didn't he reveal it to yudhishthir why didn't he reveal it to all the kauravas bhai i mean if krishna is god the lord able to transmit and transfer whatever he wants even then he is so mindful of who he's going to give it to and if he can be mindful so must must we now give it to one who is indifferent to me this is an important one this is one where you know i have to be mindful of my father who's totally indifferent to any presence of god and so you know you don't want to unnecessarily add confusion into their lives if especially recognizing that the gunas are always at play the inner castes are always at play and we need to also know from which level we are giving and from which level it is being received and finally one who finds fault in me Don't give it to people who say, "Ah, if there is God, you know, why is there so much suffering, and why is there poverty, and why is there this?" And you know, I mean, we've got such a we like to wag our fingers at people, and especially this big boss above, and we just look at the state of the world and we tell him everything that's wrong. And then when you look at, you know, a parent with a child, and you see, you can't handle one child. you don't know what's good for that child you try 600 different things hoping that this will work and this will work and this will work you know if i were to give you to run the universe do you think you could get the sun to rise at time and you think you could get the moon to shine accordingly and the stars to burn brightly and all the planets to stay in their place and every person's karma to flow just perfectly intersecting every life expressing and responding to that perfect divine timing of course not so anybody who is confused about the reality of the world and assumes that perfection is an outward state rather than an inward state too doesn't really have much need for the gita at this stage so these are some aspects for us to be mindful of in our sharing of these higher truths whosoever will with supreme devotion and remember the definition of supreme devotion in the last class impart this supreme secret knowledge to my devotees shall without a doubt come to me so now he says who can you share with and how can you share whoever will with supreme devotion let's go back and just look at the definition of supreme devotion supreme devotion to me is he who is always inwardly calm who never laments which means never complains who is without desire and who beholds all beings with equal mind so most of us don't make that definition we don't make that cut and that's why i'm saying everything we're sharing with you we can only we cannot share with you the supreme secret knowledge because we've not achieved supreme devotion ourselves yet and that's the journey though once we've achieved 
that supreme devotion, then that secret knowledge of the Gita. Thus far, we're just skimming the surface. We're just hoping, we're assuming, we're basing on what we've heard from our masters. We're parroting a lot of these concepts. But when that supreme devotion is established, then and only then will you be able to impart the secret knowledge to my devotees. And then, without a doubt, you shall come to me. No one among men performs a more priceless service to me, nor is there in all the world anyone more dear to me. Which means, unless you are practicing these teachings, you really have no right to share them. And that's a very kind of weighty responsibility. If you want to share something, practice it first. Try to build that supreme devotion to whatever ability you have in that moment. And then share from that level. Don't say, I am here, but I am telling you, you should achieve samadhi and you should do this and you should meditate 16 hours. I meditate, I meditate 20 minutes, you meditate 5 minutes, you know. That's like an appropriate way of sharing. Whoever studies and intuitively understands this sacred dialogue between us will worship me by the self-offering, a sacrifice of wisdom. Only when you intuitively understand will wisdom be yours. Such is my holy declaration. Even that person, now we come to that little caveat, even that person who, with full devotion, and without skepticism, merely listens to this holy discourse and heeds its teachings, shall become free from earthly karma and shall be blessed to dwell in the high realm of the virtuous. So again, it's not just, you know, you hear this a lot. Bhagwan Krishna ne bola hai ki bhai bas pravachan sun lo and ye kar lo and sab theek ho jayega aapka. And so we kind of take the little superficial aspect of it and we're like polishing it enough so that it's, uh, you know, like a candy just can go into everybody's mouth. But what he's saying here, first, full of devotion, without skepticism, who heeds its teachings. <laughs> he still kept the bar pretty high. He's not saying supreme devotion, <laughs> but he's saying full of devotion. You know, he's... He's not lowering it to bas tu sun le ki, you know, apne iPad pe on karke tu apna khana pakale and sunta rahe. With supreme or with full of devotion, without any skepticism, let there be no kind of even doubt that creeps into you. And then with an intention, with truly to actually practice what is being said, then what he says is you will be free from earthly karma and we will live and we talked about this how when the karma on earth is over, we move to the astral realm. When the astral karma is over, we move to the causal realm. Of course, we can go for full liberation even from earth, you know, complete absorption in the infinite. But a lot of people actually go the other way around where they just, Swamiji said, there are a lot of desires that don't need us to come back to earth to be fulfilled. He said, desire for beauty, desire for harmony. These desires, which are a little higher, can be more fully fulfilled on the astral plane where subtler qualities of perfection are able to be achieved. So when you live on that level, when your desire is not material, desire for a person who will take care of me, desire for respect and fame, desire for money, desire for power, those things, desire for good food, 
those things require the material manifestation because that's where our mind is. We're much more bound by the fixed realities. But when we go to subtler realms, desire for true love, you know, those things can be more easily fulfilled. So if you're able to follow and heed some of the teachings of the Gita, have that devotion. So he's saying that earthly karma, which means the lower energies that bind us much more to matter, will be lifted up. And we may not then have to necessarily return to this plane to work out those heavier karmic realities. And that we can then work it out in the astral or cause and realms, which is a great thing, is a wonderful thing. O Partha Arjuna, have you received this wisdom with wholly uplifted consciousness? Now the Guru comes back. Everything's over. I've told you everything I need to. Bhai, suna tu ne. And suna to kaise suna? Have you received this wisdom with wholly uplifted consciousness? Have you felt it and received it right here? Or did you just hear it? And this is a question for us. How have we received the teachings of the Gita? Have we just heard the words? Or with a wholly uplifted consciousness in other um, interpretations, they talk of, it's also said, Krishna says, have you received it with a fully concentrated mind? Which is another wonderful way to look at it. Have we really, you know, focused how much has our mind wandered while Krishna was going on and on about the gunas? <laughs> la, 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 you know? Have you received is the big question here. There's a fun story of a Christian um, preacher back in, I think, a contemporary of uh, our guru. And uh, Yogananda would tell this joke kind of story humorously. And there's this famous preacher who, when he leaves his body, he arrives at the pearly gates and St. Peter is over there kind of uh, checking if his name is on the manifest to enter into heaven. And he says, nope, I don't see your name here. And the preacher is just indignant and he's like, what are you talking about? Don't you know how many people I have sent? You know, because I was a preacher, I got people into the faith of Christ and I've sent so many people to heaven. Don't you know how many people I've sent to heaven? And St. Peter says, you may have sent them, but they never arrived. <laughs> and so it's the same here. I may have said them, but was it received? Has your delusion born ignorance, O Dhananjaya, now been dispelled? He's not asking, has your question been fulfilled? Because the question was, should I fight? But that question is what spun out this entire Gita, which is, has your delusion born ignorance that I am this body and that I have to kill these people and somehow my fighting is the most key element over here? Has that delusion completely been lifted or not? Or do you still believe? That you, Arjuna, as the prince of the Pandavas, need to do this one thing. And Arjuna answered, My delusion has been demolished. I have, by your grace, O Krishna, regained the memory of my soul. That's the most beautiful thing in this little section. I have regained the memory of my soul. I pieced it all together and I machinated through my reasoning and my understanding. I remember. Now I remember who I am, who I always was. 
In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, Patanjali talks about self-realization as smriti, divine remembrance, the memory to say, I have always been just bliss, just playing out this little temporary reality for a moment, like our dreams. We get caught up in our dreams for a moment. When we wake up, we say, oh, I remember I, I was never a terrorist. I was never this guy who was running away from something. I was never this person who was a horrible person or a wonderful person or a husband or a father or a person who's flying or whatever your dream was about. Oh, I am this. But in the dream, it felt so real and so absorbing and so complete. So I remember. And that's what Krishna is really trying to do. Awaken that soul memory. Swamiji said something once very interesting. He says, I don't even know how to put this in the right words, but he said, <clears throat> only because a part of us has experienced what is being said as true, is that when somebody says it to us, does it impact us in the sense that a part of us has already experienced the truths of the spiritual path so that when we come to it now it's and somebody says it, it, it suddenly makes sense to us. But to somebody else, it makes no sense at all because nowhere in their own experience of lifetimes has that experience actually manifested yet. And similarly, until we don't get to the memory of our soul, that experience does not manifest. No matter how many times somebody tells you, lays out the entire path before you, explains to you exactly how meditation should be done, you know, gives you all the tools and techniques, Still, it doesn't work for us because there's just layers and layers upon memories that obscure. Like that little story of the princess and the pea. The pea is right there. No matter how many mattresses you put over it, the princess, a true princess, didn't sleep well because she felt the pea. And every other princess who came said, oh, I slept so wonderfully, that mat so many mattresses, they were so soft. I don't know if you know the story. It's like one of those fairy tale stories we learned as a child. But it's that pea, and a true princess always recognizes the pea. And a true devotee is able to discern among the mattresses of this world the pea of divine bliss. I stand firm now. All my doubts and questions answered and dissipated. I will act according to your word. Established. Now what I'm going to do? is going to follow exactly what you have said to me. And this is, this ends the real conversation between Arjuna and Krishna. And who do we come back to now? Sanjay. You remember Sanjay? Long ago, lost in the whole thing. It is actually Sanjay who's talking about the Gita. We're not actually hearing Krishna and Arjuna directly. We are hearing about the Gita through Sanjaya, who is watching and eavesdropping on Krishna and Arjuna and relating to Dhritarashtra, wo kya bol So now that scene has closed and we come to the other scene which is Sanjaya. And you remember who was Sanjaya? The introspection. Who was Dhritarashtra? The blind mind. The inner introspection because when an experience, the whole Gita is actually an experience of the devotee because Arjuna says, Krishna, take me to the center of both the armies. Take me into the Shushumna. Let's go deep into meditation. There the inner intuition of the Guru, of God, of Krishna, of whatever your own higher self begins to show you the experience of God which later on the inner mind of the introspection can only translate into words because an experience when it's being had 
has no words to it. What do you say to a flavor of orange? Later on, you can say, it's tangy, but it's sweet and it's a little sour and, you know, here it has a little thread-like texture, so on and so forth. And this is Sanjaya really putting to words the experience that Krishna and Arjuna share together deep within that meditative spine. And what does Sanjaya say to the mind? It's remembering now, it's bringing out, oh, I just had this experience, oh my goodness. Thus have I listened to this wondrous discourse between Vasudev, Krishna and high-souled Arjuna. It has caused the hair of my body to stand up. So greatly have I been awestrucken and thrilled with joy. Have you ever had the hair of your body stand up deep in meditation or when you suddenly have this very inspiring moment when somebody tells you something that just strikes the right chord in your heart and you say, Oh, look at me, goosebumps. You know, because when the energy rises up the spine, that tingling sensation suddenly gives the hair on my body have stood up. Because suddenly the devotee awakens from this experience and that inner introspective mind reminds the blind mind, this is what happened. Look how I feel. <laughs> Through the grace of Vyas, the author of the Gita, of course, this supreme secret of yoga has been given to me, imparted directly to my consciousness by Krishna himself, the great Lord of yoga. Again, these subtle thoughts imparted directly into my consciousness. He's no longer saying, ah, what I heard and Krishna and Arjuna were talking far away and, you know, through my power I heard. Vyas gave him that boon that you'll be able to see what is happening as it is happening. However, in the very beginning of the, of the Gita, Sanjaya talks in the past tense, which as Yogananda explained is the first hidden key that suggests that what's happening is now allegorical. Because truly, Sanjaya had the ability to see things in real time. But when the Gita starts, he suddenly switches that and says, when Dhritarashtra asks him, what did they, the Kauravas and the Pandavas, arranged on the battlefield, ready to battle, ready to wage war, what did they? And then Sanjaya begins, this is what they did. And so because that consciousness was imparted to him, now he's starting to understand that experience and that shift of consciousness. O King Dhritarashtra, as I recall over and over again, this wonderful holy dialogue between Keshava, Krishna and Arjuna, I overflow repeatedly with joy. Now the devotee is just in bliss. Doubts dispelled, questions dissipated, delusion demolished, as Arjuna says, what remains after all of that? I just feel joy. I just experience bliss over and over again. Krishna's words just flow through my mind. God just talks to you now. Yogananda named his Gita, God talks with Arjuna. And then that's just the reality. God talks to the devotee and all there is is bliss. O King Dhritarashtra, as often as I remember the cosmic manifestation of Hari, and Hari here is the representation of the thief of hearts, I am overwhelmed with amazement and ever and again renewed with joy. He can't stop of talking about the joy that he's feeling. <laughs> and I love the word, again renewed with joy. And this is what Yogananda called Satchitananda. 
it's different. If you see any other place, Satchitananda is, you know, consciousness, what is Satchitananda, ever existing, ever conscious, and bliss, you know, so consciousness, truth, and bliss. But Yogananda added ever existing, forever, constantly, ever conscious, ever new bliss. Now that's a very interesting addition, that new bliss. Because if you've ever been happy with something, you know, if you're happy when you eat grapes, if you keep eating those grapes day in and day out, that happiness will begin to fade pretty soon. If you're happy watching Netflix after two hours of Netflix, <laughs> you know, even though you're there, even though you're holding straight, but that happiness starts to, because we need ever new experiences. And Yogananda said, the bliss of God is not a stale bliss. Ki, you know, this kind of drugged out high. Ever new bliss. Every moment is new. Every thought is new. Every expression is new. Every manifestation of the infinite divine brings a renewed state of joy. And that's what now Sanjaya is experiencing and giving that experience to Dhritarashtra, the mind, the blind mind. Sanjaya concludes, and this is the last verse. Such is my faith now that whenever Krishna is manifest, whenever you get your attention singularly at the point between the eyebrows, and whenever and wherever is Partha or the true devotee. And I looked at this last thing of Partha because we know why Krishna Arjuna is called Partha because he's the son of. Pritha, that's another name for Kunti. Oh, Kunti was his mother? Why oh, these names get confusing, don't they? Um, and Kunti represents dispassion. So Arjuna and all the Pandavas are born of Pandu, which is pure intellect or pure discrimination. And dispassion means a little detachment from this world. You need at least a little bit of detachment from this world to be able to bring about these higher states of awareness. Anybody who's had even true success in life is able to detach himself and see the world from a little bit of a space of separation and only then has the right perspective. This is what needs to be done. The closer we are to our own reality, the more personally involved and entangled we are, the much harder it is for us to see truth or see life as it is. Isn't that the Hongso practice as well? We have to detach from the breath for the breath eventually to lead us to that state of breathlessness. And so Partha, first and foremost, is the sun, is the expression of self-control born of detachment. But another sweeter definition of Partha is because he's the son of Pritha and Pritha is the aunt of Krishna. Which means Arjuna is related to Krishna. Which means the devotee must first build a true relationship with God. You have to have, you have to see Krishna as a part of you. My own brother, my own lover, my own father, my own mother. There has to be a blood relationship, so to speak. A true bond, not just a vague intellectual understanding. So Partha is my own, you are my own. And so a true devotee can only be one who has established that link with God that is real. And that isn't just a vague estimation of some abstract thought. Expert wielder of the bow of self-mastery. We talked about the bow representing the spine and that is what Arjuna was. 
the expert marksman. There I know, so he says, where Krishna is manifest, where Arjuna is manifest, where the expert wielding of the bow of self-mastery is manifest, there I know will be success, victory, and the attainment of all power, and the manifestation of all glory and righteousness. Such is my firmest conviction. It's a beautiful way to end the Gita. It ends back with the devotee. It doesn't end with Krishna. Wouldn't it be just appropriate for Krishna finally to say, and thus I have spoken, and thus tathastu, I give you my blessing. I mean, it feels like that would be the most appropriate way to end scripture. But where does it end? With Sanjaya, where the devotee himself in his own self says, this is my firmest conviction. Everything that I have just experienced, everything that I have just heard, everything that I have just received from Krishna, this is my firmest conviction. Because it's our job to create this as our firm conviction. Krishna doesn't have to say anything to us. Krishna doesn't even have to do anything. That guy's already in bliss. When will we make this our firmest conviction? And really that just feels like the most appropriate way to end something so beautiful, when the devotee finally says, everything in here, I believe with all my heart. And that's it. If we can get to that stage, yeah. the Gita is done. <laughs> we get to live the Gita, not just read it. For some reason, I never realized as today that uh, the Gita ends, in a sense, uh, with, with Arjuna. I mean, the last words of Arjuna are, I will act according to your words. I will behave appropriately. I will practice all that I have absorbed, all that I have received. I will become an example. That's how your devotees will know the value and the power of these teachings. I love the fact that Arjuna said, I will act, I, I will manifest outwardly in my daily life through my responsibilities, through every interaction, through every decision, your power. And I will practice, I will make these teachings practical. And, and I will show with every tiny, with every thought, every word, with my self-control, with my love, with my knowing that you are by my side, that this is the right way to live. This is the right way to fight every battle, especially the inner battles. And, and I'm going to take that, the importance of act righteously, the importance to discriminate, the importance to choose rightly and not be afraid. And I think it will be a good, um, I don't know if practice, but it will be good to go at the beginning of these classes and start taking notes and you know writing down all the practical tips and techniques that we have given and just put all of them 
in a list and, and choose what you want to practice. Start experiencing the words of Krishna into your daily lives. Don't allow these words just to be something that was so, I don't know, beautiful, but how am I going to implement everything that I have received? So I don't know if anyone feels inspired. <laughs> this could be a good thing to have. 60 uh, different Yeah, 60 practices. different ways uh, to live the Gita daily and to fight your own Gauravas and <laughs> you know just just to see how it works because everything that we have given we try to bring into a very basic way where where you don't need to be already super spiritually advanced I mean these are things that you can practice so easily so I will I would invite you to go from the very beginning and start just taking notes of the techniques and the practices that Krishna, in a sense, has suggested as you well. Can, you can cheat and not have to listen <laughs> to the whole hour of things. The practical thing yeah, is always practical. at the end, the last five, seven minutes. So you can just zip ahead and, you know, just look at those five minutes, you know, like, oh no, sat ghante again, <laughs> just to go through this whole process. So anyway, I have felt deeply blessed mm. to be part of this process to get to know Krishna's teachings uh, more intimately to have a greater resolution to become a yogi in this lifetime and to not give up ever and knowing that Krishna is by my side and he will guide me until I unite myself with him and I hope these classes have awakened within you the same resolution, the same zeal, the same, mm, what would you say? The same enthusiasm. To, also just you know, more clarity. More no? clarity, because, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we come onto the path perhaps with a certain amount of zeal and enthusiasm, but oftentimes that zeal and enthusiasm can be so misdirected. Mm -hmm. And Krishna has made it so clear, so simple. And what's beautiful here, of course, as we were saying, now you start your dialogue with him because Arjuna was representing as many devotees as he possibly could just to expand that reality so Krishna could give as much as he could. And now you get to choose through this journey and through, you know, perhaps even these practices, as Narayani was suggesting. You get to map out what your, your individual process here is. You know, some of us have to fight and some of us have to learn how to kind of be more centered in the spine. Mm -hmm. Some of us have to give more, some of us have to open more to be to receive. Some have to develop devotion more, some have to work more. I mean, you'll just find your own chart out an entire map for yourself based on your tendencies, based on the gunas that you're aware of in yourself, based on the cast of your consciousness at all times. So yeah, this is going to be... And it's yes, a sad it's, moment. Yeah, it's a bittersweet. It's, it feels like a great <laughs> achievement. And at the same time, you can see the, the journey ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like almost the end is the beginning, in a sense. So we'll see what we 